Yo, this is Sam Sports Podcast. It is Wednesday, March 21st, 2018. I'm Sam Rosenberg. I tell you, I've had a bit of a rough week. I got scammed out of a lot of money. I can't I can't get over that. I just realized I got scammed out of a lot of money. I feel like, I don't know, listening to Tim Duncan and Richard Jefferson tell stories about how their business managers embezzled money from them makes me feel a little better in moments like that. Because uh, I tell you, you feel pretty stupid after you get scammed out of a lot of money. But I tell you, the, the things that are making me feel better is uh, talking sports and um, talking basketball and talking Sixers. So uh, I'm back on the mic. Let's talk a little bit of the Sixers. The last time I checked in, it was a week ago. Um, <clears throat> Sixers had just come off a tough loss to the Indiana Pacers. It was a close game. But uh, the title of last week's podcast was The Sixers Struggle Against Playoff Teams. Now, the title of this week's podcast is that their playoff rotation is set, because I am going to go over that. Uh, the last three games uh, since uh, last week's podcast was the Sixers playing the Knicks and the Nets on back-to-back nights. They pulled out victories against both. And then they had a bit of a, an interesting game, up-and-down game with the Charlotte Hornets earlier this week. They also pulled out a victory. But the thing to highlight here is the fact these were all sub-500 teams. These are not playoff teams. Um, it is official. The Sixers have the easiest schedule for the rest of the season. And I looked at it on um, tankathon.com of all places, and it confirmed that the Sixers far and away have the easiest schedule, easier than any other team in the league. I believe they only play four real decent above 500 teams. They got a game against the Wolves, the Nuggets, the Cavaliers, and the Bucks, And then all the other games they're playing is against 500, uh, sub 500 dog shit teams. Um, that was on show this past week because, listen, the t- the team, these teams they played, I mean, I don't want to say they beat them like a drum. Like, the Knicks gave them a bit of a, you know, gave them some trouble. Uh, I believe it was in the Garden. I think it was, uh, I believe it was Madison Square Garden on last Thursday night. The Knicks gave them some trouble, but inevitably, in the end, you know, Joel Embiid turned it on. Uh, Sixers hit a couple of big shots. They really, I mean, this is a team which is now starting to look a little better at closing, uh, good at closing games. Um, you know, Embiid gets hot, whatever this fatigue issue was, you know, last week certainly didn't pop up this week. And in the end, you know, the Sixers pulled out this game against the Knicks and then they had a back-to-back against the Brooklyn Nets. And I think the big celebration was uh, Joel Embiid turned 24 years old. There was a whole thing. I mean, listen, Embiid is such great, um, you know, news fodder. They'll talk just about anything regarding him and his life and how they can fit it in. Uh, So they played the Brooklyn Nets. Brooklyn, they beat the living shit out of. I mean, Brooklyn is really, they can do whatever they can. They've got some exciting players. But the truth is, you know, I think Brooklyn gave them a run for their money. Um, But in the end, the Sixers were able to pull out the game uh, in the closing minutes to really close it out. Uh, The interesting one was the Hornets. Now, I've looked, and I think all four games against the Hornets are going to take place over these last couple of weeks. Not coming up, but uh, I believe they've played the Hornets three times in the last three weeks, and I believe they have one more game against the Hornets. And now each time, the Hornets have kind of given them some trouble. There was one game where Dwight Howard had 30 points, and Joel Embiid, you know, still kind of... He sort of muscled around Joel Embiid, but the truth was... This Hornets team has so many flaws, so many injuries, and they're just not a good team. I mean, they just, I don't know what their identity is. And, you know, as good as Kemba Walker is, they can't really seem to make the rest of it work. And they've, I mean, they've got to figure some things out, especially with Batum being one of their best players and now he's injured. Um, I don't really know what the hell the, the Hornets are, but they do kind of yuck it up with the Sixers and make it a good game. But the truth is, whether it's been a good game or not, the Sixers have been able to beat the Hornets all three times they've played them over the last couple of weeks. And I think they're going to beat them again with the remaining schedule. Um, 
So those were the three games. It was it was impressive. Um, you know, the Sixers, they faced a little adversity, but the truth is these teams were not particularly challenging, um, you know, and the Sixers should be beating teams like this. If they want to be a playoff team and actually try to make some noise, they've got to be beating teams like the Knicks and the Nets and the Hornets, and they did. So they took care of business. That's great. Um, the thing I, I want to kind of focus on a little bit now is some of the chemistry I've been seeing on the team, specifically with Ben Simmons. Now, Ben Simmons has gotten, you know, he's he's recording triple doubles, which, you know, I think I'd like to echo this sentiment that came up last year with sort of the romanticizing of the triple-double, you know, with Russell Westbrook averaging a triple-double over the course of the last season and essentially winning MVP, even though his team only won about 46 or 47 games and got into the playoffs in the sixth seed and got bumped in the first round, this romanticizing of the triple-double has kind of you know, lofted the status of that particular stat, when in reality, it's just a stat. It doesn't always equate to great victories or, you know, overall helping of the team. You've got to look at other stats like usage rate and plus minus and real plus minus. And I think that's what we're seeing with Ben Simmons. He's re- He's been recording a lot of triple doubles recently. He can clearly do a lot of things on the floor. I think he's like the first rookie since, you know, Oscar Robertson or Magic Johnson to have like two back-to-back triple doubles or three back-to-back triple doubles. Um, but I got to tell you, man, I was noticing the other night, he was almost pulling a little bit of a Russell Westbrook from last season. He was like fighting guys for rebounds. Like Amir Johnson was going up for a rebound and like Ben Simmons nearly took it out of his hands and Amir Johnson did the whole like, you know, okay, I'm not touching it, it's yours. And I feel like he did it to Embiid the other night too because and it's at that moment at the end of the game where I'm starting to be like, dude, you're fishing for stats. Like you're literally trying to get that 10th rebound so you can get the the triple-double. You know, and, and that's what happened with Westbrook last year. Like the Thunder, I feel like all of the Thunder front court players were like trying to help him get uh, rebounds. Like Steven Adams would sort of get out of the way and let Russ, uh, Russell get the rebound. Um, I'm seeing a little bit of that with Simmons. And personally, I just, I find it a little disconcerting because he's focusing a little bit more on stats. But listen, I, I think we're going to learn a lot more about who Ben Simmons is as he involved, as he... Um, uh, unfurls himself as a uh, young man and a superstar in this league. And right now, I can tell you he is a very different personality type from Joel Embiid. He seems to be a little cagier, a little bit more closed off. And I don't think we fully know who the hell he is right now. Because right now he's a rookie. Uh, he's a rookie who has got all these abilities, athleticism, passing, and skill, but yet can't shoot the basketball. Uh, however, got to give him some credit. I've seen more jump shots happen as of the last two, three weeks in his game than I think I have all season. He hasn't he hasn't shot a three-pointer. Aside from like a mid-court heave at the buzzer, he still has not shot a three-pointer, and I don't think that's coming anytime soon. Uh, now, another thing I want to say is J.J. Redick. I got to bring him up. I love him. I do love him to death. I think he's a fantastic shooter. I think he's been a great addition to the team. I love his podcast. I, I kind of love everything about him, but now that I've been able to really focus on him with, you know, with a magnifying glass because he's on my Sixers team now. I'm really coming away with the fact that I don't know how clutch a shooter he is. And listen, he's got one of the best free throw percentages in the league. You know, I was looking, JJ, uh, Courtney Lee's number one, Reddick's number two, and Marco Bellinelli's number three. These are guys who are shooting in the 92-93 percentile. And I've seen J.J. Redick miss more free throws at the end of a game than he does at any other time during the game. And it's just disconcerting to me, considering how great a free throw shooter he is, and yet when he all of a sudden has to, you know, he's going one for two with 20 seconds left. He's going one for two with a minute and a half left. And it's like, dude, this is not okay. Um, 
I've also seen him take clutch three-pointers at the end of the game that he misses. And uh, listen, it's not an isolated thing. It's this, this could be anomalous. This could be just a couple of games that I've watched, but I'm just, I got to run the numbers a little bit more on it. But I'm telling you, I just don't think Redick is as clutch a shooter as, as you want him to be. And listen, I, I took some classes on this. I remember getting training on pressure. I had a teacher in my class in college who said, all right, listen, I want you to take this little, you know, there's a trash bucket right over there. It's a few feet away. I want you to take this crumpled piece of paper, stand a few feet from the trash can, and toss it in the trash can. And it was really easy. But then he said, all right, now I want you to do it three times in a row, and I want everybody in the room to cheer for that person. And you know what? People started to have more trouble actually tossing this piece of crumpled paper into the trash bin. And he used to say, that's what pressure is. All of a sudden, you're not making a free throw in the first quarter when the game is 7-2. to two. You're making a free throw in the fourth quarter with the whole crowd going crazy when you're up by two points and there's 10.2 seconds left. You know, it's a little harder to make that pressure-filled free throw in the fourth quarter, and I just think that is showing with J.J. Redick. Those are my thoughts. I had to put it out there. I'm just saying take note of it as, you know, as the season progresses. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention on today's show, which I told you is the title of it, is Sixers have set their playoff rotation. Now, this is something I got to give Brett Brown credit for. You know, there's been a lot of things to knock about his coaching, but I really think this is one of the first solid years we get a chance to actually analyze him as a coach. And the thing I have to give him credit for is he is officially carving out a playoff rotation. As we've gotten to the end of the season, you know, he's no longer tweaking lineups. Um, he's no longer sort of giving minutes to guys. You're, you're kind of like, eh, I don't really know if, Tim, you know, Timothée Loawu Cabarro is fitting in perfectly, but let's give him minutes. Let's see what he does. That's not happening anymore. We're at the end of the season. The Sixers have the luxury of the fact that they haven't dealt with gigantic injuries to any of their major players. So they've actually been able to set a rotation. God bless them for doing that. So the rotation you're seeing now is you're seeing the starting lineup of Embiid, Simmons, Sarich, uh, Covington, and Redick. And then you're seeing the next few rotational guys. You're seeing Ilyasova, you're seeing Bellinelli, and you're seeing TJ McConnell. And then depending on who they're playing and who the matchups are, you'll see Amir Johnson or Rashawn Holmes. You know, one of them will get more or less minutes to back up Embiid. And then also I'm noticing that Brett Brown is putting in a lot more Justin Anderson. Uh, Justin Anderson's getting a few more looks on that team than I, I think... Um, we would have expected. And also, Justin Anderson's been dealing with injuries all season. So that's an example of a rotational guy who has been in and out of the lineup and not really because of his play, but more his injuries. Um, but that being said, it's pretty clear that Ilyasova, Bellinelli, and McConnell, that's your 6, 7, and 8 guy. And they're the ones who are rotating in with the starting five. And now you're, uh, Jared Bayless doesn't really get on the floor anymore. You know, T Lawawu Cabarro's not really getting on the floor anymore. You know, all these other guys they were playing with, they're really not getting any minutes unless there's a specific reason they need to get those minutes and a specific reason they need to get on the floor. And listen, I appreciate um, Brett Brown for doing this because that's what a playoff team needs to do. They, these guys need to know that they're going to get these minutes. You can't have one of these guys saying, well, maybe I'm going to get on the floor tonight and maybe, I'm, maybe I won't. Let me just get ready either way. It's like, uh-uh. You need to have Covington and Bellinelli and Ilyasova. They need to know they're going to get on the floor. They need to know that they're going to get X amount of minutes and they need to be prepared for those minutes because when a curveball comes their way, everybody needs to adjust. And, everybody, and that's when you call up guys to play minutes that they weren't playing before because of the fact that you need to take an adjustment to what's going on in the playoffs. And... um 
I mean, the guy who's really on the outside looking at is Jared Bayless. I listen, and I think that's appropriate. I don't particularly think he's the greatest fit for this team. Uh, you know, he's a decent shooter. He's a decent ball handler. He's a decent defender. But I kind of think you're getting more production out of McConnell and Embiid um, than you're going to get out of Bayless. And even still, I mean, guys like Redick, I mean, hell, guys like, you know, Embiid, these guys are going to be able to be playmakers and, and even handle the ball more often than you're going to need Bayless to do it. And it's just, listen, Bayless is going to, he's going to be there when you need him. But for the most part, I feel like we're not going to see him again, you know, on the, I don't think he'll, I don't know if he'll ever play another six or minute again because his contract's up after the season and I don't see him coming back next year. But like I said, I appreciate the fact that Brett Brown is carving out a real rotation. Now, speaking of rotations, right now the Sixers are lined up to play the Cleveland Cavaliers in the first round. They're in the sixth seed. Uh, the Sixers, have they've got a decent couple of games ahead of the Miami Heat and the Milwaukee Bucks. And, you know, the, the Cavaliers are still fighting and still fighting. Things could slide around. You could see the Sixers facing the Wizards or the Pacers. But there's a very good chance they'll face the Cavaliers. And I actually think this is probably a good matchup for the Sixers and not for the Cavaliers. Let's talk a little bit about the matchups, okay? Because this is sometimes one of the best ways to really kind of think about a playoff series and try to figure out exactly if they're going to work and who's actually going to beat the other team. Ben Simmons is probably uh, Ben Simmons is going to start at point. You're probably going to see George Hill start. So George Hill, Ben Simmons. That's an interesting matchup, and I think Simmons can beat him. Then you've got J.J. Redick going up against whoever the hell the Cavaliers are going to start at shooting guard. It's been J.R. Smith. It's been Kyle Korver. I don't really think they've been starting Jordan Clarkson, but Clarkson is the guy who comes in and plays reserve minutes. So you're really going to sit there and say, you know, is Redick, Bellinelli, are those guys going to be able to deal with the J.R. Smiths on that side? Then you've got who's going to guard LeBron James. And right now, I mean, the the obvious option is Robert Covington. I mean, I think Covington has played a fair amount of minutes on him. Covington's a defensive specialist. He's rangy. I mean, he's probably going to have to do the, the lion's share of the work in trying to contain LeBron James. And listen, LeBron, he's going to kill you either way. The question is, how much does he kill you and how much can you contain him? I think Covington's going to do his best, but James is going to eat, and there's nothing you can do about that. Then you have to look at the front court because with... With Saric and Embiid as your front court for the Sixers, I think the Cavaliers are going to need to start Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson. You're going to have to throw a big body at Embiid, and Tristan Thompson's going to be that guy. And then you're going to probably have Dario Saric matched up against Kevin Love, which I actually think is a pretty good matchup. Two guys who are both athletic. They can both stretch the floor. They can both shoot the three. They're both going to be able to have some post moves. I mean, in a way, I that might be one of the kickers for the series, is really trying to see... What happens there with Saric and Kevin Love? Because Kevin Love contributing and sort of adding that 15 to 20 points to go alongside with LeBron is going to be a game changer for this series. And if he can't do it, if Saric is able to get underneath his skin and slow him down, this is going to be a very interesting series for the Cavaliers. Now, Saric, on the other hand, if Kevin Love is able to uh, marginalize him at all, that's going to be a problem for the Sixers because I think one of the sneaky things about the Sixers. One of the sneaky things about the Sixers over the last couple of months has been the rise of Saric. Saric has quietly become 
such a vital part of this team. I'm telling you, a extremely essential part to this team. This guy plays hard. He plays well. He rebounds. He hits three-pointers. He hits three-pointers with contests in his face. I mean, very, very important to see Saric do what he needs to do. And if the Cavaliers are able to slow him down, I really think that could create some problems for the Sixers. On the other hand, you got to think about the fact that if the Cavaliers cannot contain Embiid, and Ilyasova is able to kind of cause some trouble for their front court, maybe cause some trouble for Jeff Green off the bench, Larry Nance Jr. off the bench, and if Bellinelli is able to get some three-pointers over guys like J.R. Smith or Jordan Clarkson, now you're looking at a series that's leaning more so towards the Sixers. You're looking at, because I still, you know, George Hill is going to do what he does, but I still think Ben Simmons is going to attack them as well. I mean, I'd be very interested to see who they stick on Ben Simmons. Like, you know, you might see LeBron James guarding Ben Simmons a fair amount. You might see Jeff Green guarding Ben Simmons a fair amount. And that, I think, is going to tell us a lot about how this this series is going to shape up. Right now, I mean, I know it sounds crazy to say it, and I know it's LeBron James. I still think he's the best player in the league, better than Kevin Durant, better than Steph Curry. I still think he is LeBron fucking James, and it's hard to bet against this guy who's been to seven straight finals, but this is the year that they are not going to do it. Okay, somebody is going to take down this Goliath, and I think I was predicting it would be the Raptors. Um, I, 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 I think a few weeks ago I had trouble kind of saying that the Sixers could get out of a series with the Cavaliers, but I mean, right now I look at these matchups; it does not look good for the Cavaliers. The Sixers really, I mean, these are some good matchups, and they might have their number. I mean, it might take seven games, but I could honestly, I could honest to God see the Sixers actually pulling out a series win against this Cavaliers and bumping them. And then having the Sixers go up against, uh, who the hell's the two seed? Go up against Boston or Boston, whoever the hell Boston plays. If Boston plays Miami or, or Milwaukee, I really think they'll get out of that. But you might see the Sixers going up against the Celtics. A Celtics team that has struggled, especially with, a, with all the injuries that they've been dealing with. A Celtics team that I'm still not particularly sold on. I think they're vulnerable, and I think you can get on them. And I just think that, I mean, listen, it's crazy to think the Sixers could get to the Eastern Conference Finals, but the path is there. And if they play well, if they if they get around injuries, knock on wood, and Brett Brown does some savvy coaching, who knows, baby, could be a very exciting playoff run for this Sixers team. I'm just calling it right now. And I'm going to throw out there, okay, uh, next few games for the Sixers, uh, they're going to be tipping off in about five minutes because I'm recording this at uh, uh, I'm recording this at 7.09, um, Eastern Standard Time, and they have a tip-off at home against the Memphis Grizzlies tonight. Uh, should be starting the game right now. I'm going to cut. Off, I'm going to get off this podcast so I can go watch the game. Uh, then they have tomorrow night. They're going to Orlando. They have a back-to-back. They're going to play the Magic. Then they have a home game against the Timberwolves. That'll be a real game. Timberwolves are fighting for a playoff spot in the West. Then they got a home game against the Denver Nuggets. That'll be a real game, fighting for a playoff spot in the West. Then they've got a home game against the Knicks, who are dog shit, and they were. Dog shit even when Porzingis was on the floor. That's right. I said it. I love Porzingis. I think he's great, but the rest of the team around him is a bit of a – it's just a hot mess. Um, and they're even more than a hot mess without Porzingis. And who knows – I mean, listen, he's probably going to miss a chunk of next season. But essentially, you're looking at the next five games are – three of them are winnable. Two of them are certainly going to be a challenge. But as I said before – Sixers have four more games against legitimate teams, and two of them are coming up over the next week. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what the Sixers do when they play these teams, and especially they're going to be at home. You know, Minnesota will be a challenge, but I think Denver's a team that's had so much inconsistency that the Sixers could probably, you know, could probably figure out a way to beat them on their own on their home court. So, 
I mean, those are my thoughts on it. So that's after, uh, so thank you for listening. I, I think the playoff rotation is set for the Sixers. I think they're going to probably reel off a couple more wins going into the end of the season. And I think they're a hell of a matchup against the Cavaliers. I think the Cavaliers, I know LeBron is not going to be scared, but he should be scared because Embiid, listen, when things are clicking, when you guys get into the playoffs, they're going to be young. They're going to be, you know, kind of green, but stranger things have happened. And I think the Sixers have got the talent. And if they can keep, if they can cut down their turnovers, last couple of weeks, they've had a few, you know, record lows this season for turnovers. All of a sudden, they're able to pull out some pretty tight victories against some tough teams. So I'm still holding out hope. And let's see what this, uh, this week shows us. I think it'll be p- pretty revealing when the Sixers play the Wolves and the Nuggets this week. Oh, thanks a lot for listening to Sam Sports Podcast. I'm Sam Rosenberg. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. You can like my Facebook page, Sam Sports Station. Uh, follow me on Instagram, at Sam Sports Station. Follow me on Twitter, at Smithface Jones. Uh, you can also email me at samsportsstation at gmail.com. Any thoughts, questions, or complaints, or you know feelings. Or if you want to you know sympathize or empathize with me about the fact that I got scammed out of a lot of money. The, you know... Uh, I'm realizing apparently everybody's been there, or not everybody, but it happens to a lot of people, and there's a a lot of fucks out there who prey on people's confidence and trust, so fuck those fucks. And uh, thank you, Tim Duncan and Richard Jefferson, for sharing your stories about being embezzled, because it makes poor guys like me feel a little better. And uh, listen, go Sixers. Enjoy the game tonight. Enjoy the game tomorrow night. Um, I'll be back next week to recap what's going on and to uh, stick with the Sixers as they go into this playoff run. Um, But in the meantime, enjoy the games. I'll be back next week. Take it easy. Bye-bye.